The church is the only organization, the only institution that Jesus Christ promised to build. And he said, I will build it. It's happening and nothing can stand against it. Not even this life's greatest enemy, death itself, can overpower Christ's plan to build his church. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing his current series with part four of The Church According to Jesus. So far, through Tom's study in Ephesians, we've explored Christ's greatest priority, building His church. To him, the church is the most important thing in the universe, which leads to the question, how important is his church to you? Is it a priority? Well, as you'll be reminded today, Christ has a plan. He is building his church. As a believer, have you submitted your will and priorities to his plan? Let's join Tom now with today's message on The Word Unleashed. Now, the fact that Christ has given leadership to his church and has given the leaders to this church he has given should affect your response to those in leadership. How should you respond to the leadership of the church? We live in the state of Texas, which prides itself on individualism. We live in America, which prides itself on individualism, and I'm not going to submit to anyone. Even our revolution began with, we serve no sovereign here. And so we have a spirit that is contrary to the spirit of the New Testament. How are we supposed to respond to the leadership Christ has put in place? Very briefly, let me give you a couple of things the New Testament teaches. Number one, appreciate and esteem them. By the way, I don't tell you this is self-serving. I'm just teaching you the scripture, okay? You do these things, but I'm just reminding you. Appreciate and esteem them. First Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13, we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Secondly, you should imitate their faith. Hebrews 13, 7, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. And number three, you are to obey and submit to them. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who give an account Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Now, don't misunderstand this. This is not some great club that some autocratic leader can use to tell you everything you ought to do. My authority as an elder stops where the Word of God stops. Submit and obey your leaders as they show you from the Word of God what the Word teaches I have no right to tell you where to live or what car to drive or what color socks you ought to wear today or who you ought to marry apart from how the Scripture speaks to that issue. But where it does speak and where the elders urge you to obey, you are to obey and submit to them as to the Lord. So, that's what your responsibility is. But in Ephesians chapter 4, there's one more part of that responsibility. 
According to Ephesians 4, you should view them as Christ's gift to you and thank God for them. He gave them to the church for its benefit, for your benefit. You know, I I personally, as one of the elders, can say, I thank God for the rest of the elders of this church. I don't know a better group of elders anywhere. We're not perfect men. You know that. You've seen that. But there's a genuine desire to love and to serve Christ and to do what the Scriptures command. You see, it was from the deep love of Jesus Christ for his church that he gave his church and he gave this church gifted men to lead. And he appointed them for a very specific purpose. That brings us to the third part of Christ's plan for his church. Number one, Christ distributes spiritual gifts to his church. Number two, Christ appoints the leaders of the church. And thirdly, the leaders equip the members of the church. The leaders equip the members of the church. Notice verse 12. He gave these men for the equipping of the saints. Now, the most important decision in interpreting verse 12 is to determine the relationship of the three phrases. You see the three phrases in verse 12? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. What's the relationship of those three? Well, some would say that all three describe what the leaders are to do. In other words, the leaders are to equip the saints, the leaders are to do the work of service, and the leaders are to build up the body of Christ. But the best way to understand the relationship of these three clauses is that they build on each other. The leaders equip the saints, the saints do the work of service, and all of that together causes the church to be built up. The reason I say that's the best view is because it best reflects the original language. In the Greek text, there are three different prepositions used. Also, it makes sense of why Paul spent three verses, back in verses 7 through 10, on individual gifts. Christ distributed spiritual gifts to every Christian so that every Christian could do the work of ministry. So then, the primary role of the leaders of the church, verse 12, is not to do the work of ministry, or as the New American Standard says, the work of service, but to equip the saints to do it. The Greek word that's translated equipping here is a noun that describes preparing something or putting something right. In secular Greek, it was used of setting a bone. In the New Testament, it's used of mending nets, restoring a sinning brother. In 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Paul uses it like this. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete. Be made complete. But perhaps the best insight from this word or of this word comes in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. You remember that famous saying of our Lord's? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained, fully equipped, will be like his teacher. To equip, then, means making something complete, providing it all the parts that it needs to function properly. That's the job of the leaders of this church. How do we do that? Well, God's given us two primary tools to equip you, to give you all the parts you need 
all the skills you need to function properly in the church. Here are the tools we have. Number one, to teach you the Word of God. Luke 6 makes that clear, doesn't it? When it says that equipping is teaching. A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully equipped will be like his teacher. Teaching is the tool we have. Remember what the leaders of the church are called? Pastor teachers. How do we as spiritual shepherds feed our sheep? Through teaching the Word of God. The food is the Scripture, and we teach that Word to you. That's how we equip you. It's interesting, in 2 Timothy 3, that familiar passage we often quote about the Scripture being inspired, you remember how the rest of it goes? It says, all Scripture is inspired, and then it says, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You are equipped through the teaching and then your understanding the Scripture. Now, folks, the the implications of this is huge. And the church today is running absolutely contrary to what this clearly teaches. Because we live in a day when churches are reducing the teaching time to 10 to 15 minutes. Why? So that multimedia and Drama and even interpretive dance can have a place in the corporate gathering of the church. And no, I'm not planning to do that anytime soon. It would not be a pretty picture. Other churches are replacing the teaching of the saints altogether, and they're replacing it with services intended to reach seekers. That doesn't build up the church. This is the only way the saints can be equipped is through the teaching of the Word of God. This is the primary way. Charles Hodge observed that throughout history, true Christianity has flourished just in proportion to the degree in which the Bible is known and its truths are diffused among the people. The nations where the Bible is unknown sit in darkness. Folks, I hate to tell you, but American evangelicalism is slipping back into darkness because the Bible isn't known. So folks, place yourself regularly under the teaching of God's Word. Read and listen to sermons by godly Bible teachers. Read the Scripture for yourself. Go to our bookstore and get some good books that will challenge you to think about what the Scripture teaches. That is how you will be equipped to function in the church. But in addition to teaching, there's another way the leaders of this church can ensure that you are equipped. Ultimately, God is the only one who can equip you, and that's why we have to pray. There's a kind of prayer in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Listen to what he says. The writer of Hebrews says, Now the God of peace equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. That's it, folks. Those are the two tools the leaders have to equip you, teaching the Word of God and praying that God would use his Word in your life. That's why the apostles, you remember in Acts 6, said they were going to vote themselves to what? The Word and prayer, because those are the tools Those are the tools spiritual leaders have to equip the saints. 
So the leaders of countryside are to equip you by teaching and preaching and then by praying that God would equip you through that understanding of his word. So Christ's plan for the church is very clear. Christ distributes spiritual gifts to his church. Christ appoints the leaders of the church. The leaders equip the members of the church. And that brings us to the fourth part of the plan. The members accomplish the service of the church. The members accomplish the service of the church. Look at verse 12 again. For the equipping of the saints, that's what pastor teachers and evangelists do. They equip the saints for the work of service. What specifically are the leaders to equip the saints to do? The work of service. The Greek word translated service comes from the very familiar word deacon. It's a general word for service of any kind. It's often used in a general sense for whatever is done for God. On the one hand, it can describe the teaching of the Word of God, missionary work. On the other hand, the same word is used of everyday service. In Luke, it's used of preparing food, of serving food, in Acts, of serving food to widows. That's a wide breadth of service. Here's the point, folks. Don't miss this. Every member of the church is to be involved in service at some level, and that's anything from teaching God's Word to preparing food and everything else you can imagine. This is the responsibility. You are to be doing the work of service. This is so fundamental and foundational, and yet it's so often misunderstood. James Montgomery Boyce pointed out that because the church has misunderstood this, people have wrong views of the relationship between the clergy, as we are called, and the laity, as you are called. People have these flawed views of how we, we ought to relate to each other. Boyce identifies three of them. He says the, the first wrong view is clericalism. That is, the work of the church is based on the clergy. This view says the work of the church is to be done by those paid to do it. In this system, the role of the lay people is just to support it financially. Historically, this view grew out of the Roman Catholic Church where only the priests were authorized to serve in the church, much like the Old Testament priesthood. It also reflects the sort of human predisposition to be in charge, to be in control, to dominate. Some people just like to be in charge of everything. And so this system sort of grew up. Another factor that contributed to this clericalism, the idea that the clergy ought to do everything, is simply the tendency, can I say this without offending you, of lay people to sit back and let the pastor do it. I love this quote John, John Stott mentions in his book. He says, what does the layman really want? He wants a building which looks like a church. Clergy dressed in the way he approves services of the kind he's been used to, and to be left alone. Unfortunately, that's how many people who call themselves Christians think. Boyce goes on to say, failure to see that truth has led in church history to what John R. Stott has termed the clerical domination of the laity. There has developed with the church a kind of division between the clergy and the laity in which the clergy are supposed to lead and do the work while the people 
are to follow and, of course, give money to support the clergy in their work. There's a second flawed view Boyce identified, not only clericalism, but the second would be anti-clericalism. You see, what happens is sometimes lay people rightly become so fed up with their leaders that they overreact and they react against the concept of leadership altogether. There's a new movement, by the way, especially in the emergent church, to do away with the concept of leaders in the church. Instead, there ought to be facilitators. We're not leaders. We're facilitators. Well, frank, frankly, look through the New Testament. You'll find a hard time substantiating that from Scripture. There are no facilitators in the New Testament. There are leaders and shepherds and elders and overseers, words that are offensive to many in modern sensibilities. There's a third false view of the relationship between leaders and the congregation, not only clericalism and anti-clericalism, but dualism. This is the perspective that the clergy and the laity have their own spheres or territories, and neither is to trespass onto the territory of the other. You know, it's the attitude that says, look, we won't tell you what to preach, and you don't tell us how to run the church. The biblical view is found right here in Ephesians 4, and it's that the leaders equip the people and lead, and the people serve now, as you look at those three views, which of those do you think would be more a temptation in our day? Obviously, clericalism. Let those who were paid to do it, do it. Why? Because we live in an audience culture. We're professional spectators. We are trained to be spectators. We watch movies. We listen to music. The average person spends more than five hours a day watching television. We watch sporting events. I'm sure you've heard the definition of professional football that says it's 80,000 people desperately in need of exercise watching 22 people desperately in need of rest. <laughs> it's hard to break the habit of just watching. But folks, the church is not a spectator sport. It's about work and service. It's time for all of us, you included, to get involved. You say, how do I get involved? What, what kind of service is this anyway? I like the way Wayne Grudem summarizes the service of the church. He says, basically, the church has three duties. They have a duty or a ministry to God, that's worship. They have a ministry to believers, that's nurture and care, and they have a ministry to the world, that's evangelism and mercy. You have been given very specific spiritual giftedness to enable you to serve in one or a combination of those ways. Folks, in Christ's plan, the members are to accomplish the service of the church. Are you following his plan? That brings us to number five, the fifth and final part of the plan. If Christ distributes spiritual gifts to the church, and he appoints the leaders of the church, and the leaders equip the members of the church, and the members accomplish the service of the church, then this fifth part will happen, and it's this. The plan results in the growth of the church. The plan results in the growth of the church. Look at verse 12 again. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service, and when that happens, it comes to the building up of the body 
of Christ. That clause summarizes what the result of the plan will be. Now the phrase, the body of Christ here, is a metaphor, obviously, for the church. It's a metaphor that can describe a local church like ours. We are, in one sense, the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 uses it like that. But it can also be a reference to the entire family of believers across the globe. And I think both concepts may be in view in this passage. Here's Paul's point. When the Christ-appointed leaders here at Countryside equip you and you get involved in serving in this church, this church, Countryside, is built up. But we also become a part of something that's much bigger than this church. We participate in building up the universal body of Christ. You see, you and I can become very myopic and think that things are all about us right here in Southlake, in North Texas. But Christ isn't just concerned with this local church, and neither should we be. We should serve here faithfully with the understanding that as we serve here and fill our part here, the entire body of Christ is built up. We are having an impact on the kingdom of God. Now, what does it mean to build up? Well, the Greek word was used literally of erecting a building, of construction. Here it refers to the construction of spiritual maturity in the entire church. It's like the growth of the human body. I saw a video several years ago of what each cell in our body is actually like. Truly amazing. Each cell is, consists of dozens of tiny little organic machines. Your DNA is essentially an assembly line that produces other cells. Remarkable. And as each one of those tiny little machines and each one of those little cells in your body does its part, that cell functions and stays healthy and grows. But it contributes what? To the overall health of the entire body. That's how it is when you and I do our part, as it were, in this cell here. We're not just contributing to the health of this cell we're contributing to the health of the whole body. When the church has gifted men, leaders appointed by God, identified by the elders, confirmed by the congregation, and those gifted men are teaching and equipping the people, and the people are mixing that teaching with their gifts and are serving in the church, then the members individually and the church as a whole grow spiritually, and we even contribute to the growth of the whole body of Christ. Folks, this is incredible. You know, we live our little lives and, and we don't think on the, the large scale. Understand, Christ has a plan and you are a part of that plan. He planned to give you a particular gift and for you to use that gift and that you would use it in the church. There's nothing wrong with being involved in parachurch ministry. There's nothing wrong with being involved in a secular organization. But listen carefully, not if it pulls you away from the priority of filling the role that Christ has assigned you in his church. 
Folks, don't exhaust all of your time and all of your resources and all of your skills in professional associations, in social organizations, in organized sports, or in any other activity if it means that you have little to no time left for what God has gifted you to do in his church. That would be to prostitute the gift you've been given and, folks, to waste your life. Christ is about one thing today. It's building his church. To him, the church is the most important thing in the universe. It's his greatest priority. I just want to know this. Can you stand before Christ someday and say that it was yours, that it was your greatest priority? Christ has a plan. He is building his church. Are you working on the plan. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part four of The Church According to Jesus. Tom will continue with part five on our next program. Join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And be sure to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed. Exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.